Welcome back, creeps. How is everybody doing? Happy New Year. Happy New Year, y'all. I actually thought this episode was going to come out on, like, New Year's Day, but... Alas, it did not. I feel like it was kind of a hectic couple of weeks. Yeah. Not necessarily for us, but, like, I just feel like there was a lot going on around us. Yeah. For me, it was the Vlogmas. I didn't realize how taxing it was going to be. You know what I mean? And that wasn't even with edits. It was just... Yeah, it was just having the commitment of doing it every single day until Christmas. Yeah. And I think... Has it been two weeks since the 25th? Uh, it'll be two weeks on Sunday. Yeah. So I'm I'm literally just decompressing. <laughs> like going into myself and recharging. Yeah, yeah. That's cool. If you're new here, my name is Adam. This is Dulce. Hey. We just tell... Not even just scary stories, because we have one just interesting story. We tell true crime and ghost stories like it's in the title. We never introduce ourselves. Yeah. And it's something that I want to get better at. Sup. So if you're here for any true crime, paranormal, that's what we do here. Yeah. Uh, we are going to be taking a break in a couple of weeks, but I'm hoping to get one more episode out before we have a break. Because mm-hmm. we have a top secret mission. We do. Uh, oh, we'll will be revealed hopefully next week and i'm also hoping to get a couple of videos up and stuff like that as well so it won't be completely barren but Mm -hmm. just heads up we will be taking a week off or a couple weeks off yeah the next time i go live it's gonna be when we're in the thick of it of this secret mission yeah and um yeah first of all i did just want to um give a big shout out to claudia i feel like everybody knows who claudia is now if you've been listening to us for any length of time, I'm sure we've spoken about her. If you don't know who Claudia is and you've been listening, have you really been listening? Yeah, listen harder. Yeah. Go back. No. <laughs> <laughs> but no, Claudia is actually just a really loyal listener. She's like a day oneer, I think. She's a ride or die. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Anyway, she suggested the idea of an Amazon wish list where we would just like throw up some books that I had in my cart or like on my actual list on Amazon and then people can just buy them for us and send them to us basically so i was like that's actually a really good idea yeah and then she sent us two books which is really sweet yeah and i'm very excited to read them um but yeah if that's something that you'd be interested in if you have a particular book that you would like me to like read and do research on or whatever let me know i'll add it and you can do it that way no pressure or anything like that i just thought it was a nice little uh That was a really good idea. Yeah, it was a nice idea. I would have never thought of that. And it gives us like nice surprises and stuff. Yeah. It's like, surprise, here's your new topic. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Because you usually don't get the surprise. It's usually just me. But this way you can get a surprise. And it's like, surprise, Adam, your next topic. I get the surprise. Yes. Okay, I'm with you. Awesome. Okay, cool. Welcome. Yeah, sorry about that. Uh, In other news, I have lost my glasses. They're somewhere in the car and your sunglasses no my regular reading glasses need to get that sorted out how was your week been i'm really excited at the secret mission that we're about to embark on yes um and oh i can't talk about that either god damn it (laughs) (laughs) i was gonna say welcome to weekly creep where we (laughs) talk about things that we can't talk about (laughs) where we're really fucking vague about shit 
No, what I'm really excited about is like an opportunity for us. Yeah. Um, that I don't want to, <laughs> I don't want to talk about. Just no, don't want to jinx it. Yeah. I don't want to jinx it. Um, but it, it's, it's going to be huge if it comes through for us. A uh, vague story, vaguer. Is that a word? Vaguer. <laughs> More vague. Um, 2023 is shaping, is, is shaping out to be like a really positive year. Like it's like, it's like someone put a, put a, their foot on the gas like shit is happening yeah so hopefully this is it 2023 everybody woo um so do you have a tarot card for us i do i do okay so thick two of wands ah i love two of wands i bet you do so today's message slow down and consider your options today you have amazing potential Consider carefully how you want to use your time and energy. Don't go running after the first opportunity that comes along if it doesn't feel exactly right. Take your time. So don't just run off with the first Dick and Sally you meet this year. Take your time. All right. That sounds really positive, actually. I actually had some feedback about your tarot cards. Turns out people love them. Oh, really? (laughs) Yeah, so that's cool. They're not going anywhere, people. Yay! As long as we keep remembering, I know there's a few weeks where we just kind of forget. Did you start taking your magic mind like you were supposed to? <laughs> no, no, I'm just kidding. No, I did. Um, every time Adam tells me to do something that's good for my health, I just say no. <laughs> um, like when I when I'm off to work, and he's like, "All right." Be safe out there. And I'll be like, no. And I'll just close the door. <laughs> yeah, that's true. This is exactly, it's like six o'clock in the morning. I'm washing dishes in my robe. And this is the crap I have to put up with. He's like, all right, text me when you're there. No. <laughs> <laughs> um. Anyways. Yes, I have started taking my magic mind. And I started taking my magic mind exactly when I said I was going to do it. As in you change the time of day that you yes. take your magic mind. And let me tell you, it makes a huge difference because, like, I'm that much more, like, sure that the boost that I have is not, like, a speedball of coffee and magic mind. Yeah. Like, co- like magic mind is showing up. So and, and it's doing, like it's, giving you that extra part. kick in the afternoon. It is. It it's like it helps me focus because like sometimes I do feel myself dozing off in front of the computer screen. Yeah. And you know how I am about caffeine the second time around. Um, yeah. In the and there, there is caffeine in it. It's just not that strong. Yeah. So like I feel a little better about doing that. And like I don't go into like after work I work out and I don't go into my workouts dragging ass and dreading it and just hating my life. Yeah, yeah. So that's cool. <laughs> <laughs> but you also like still sleep. Yeah, fine, I, like, I when still you get fucking home. sleep. That's the yeah. main thing, right? Mm-hmm. That's that's where the whole like fear of second caffeine in the day comes from. But I don't worry about it anymore. So yeah, yeah. And like we've been saying this whole time as well, like the reason why it's not just like you know snorting a line of coffee or anything like that is because of the all the good natural crap that's in it. Yeah. Like my favorite 
back up on Monieri. Mm. But no, it's like nootropics and uh, mushrooms, ashwagandha, stuff like that. Yeah, so, I like a bit of shrooms. Yeah. I mean, everybody does these days. Yeah. But no, so that's where it's like you don't get all jittery and crap like that. You just... You just go on about alert. your day like a normal ass human yeah, being. But like, and that, that's a, the funny thing is like, I, I think this is what normal human beings or like people that are generally <laughs> healthy feel like. Well, I, I mean... I love that. I love just <laughs> taking like having a little, like a little taste yeah. Of what having a normal, healthy metabolism lifestyle could be. Yeah. But isn't because I'm garbage. <laughs> <laughs> that is not true. But again, like we've been saying, I hate like repeating myself or anything. But like we've been saying, the subscription is kind of the key to this whole thing. Yeah. Because it's not just like an energy drink that you would take for a pick me up. Like it's full of vitamins and stuff like that. And the longer you take it, the longer your body kind of retains this stuff. So if you want to try it out, make sure to go and check out www.magicmind.co forward slash weekly creep. Use the code weekly creep. It's all capitals on here. I don't know if that matters or not, but that's that's going to get you 56% off, which is astounding off the subscription. And a random number. It's kind of random. Yeah, maybe it like rounds it off or something. Mm. I don't really know. I will have that link in the description. Like I always do, because I'm so good with descriptions and stuff like that. <laughs> and uh, yeah. Yeah. So I will say the last two weeks, I have slipped on my physical journey to health nirvana. You haven't been going to the gym like? Yeah, for, basically. Okay. <laughs> and like I've been eating shitty. So there's that. But I'm back on my bullshit. Good. You know, so... 2023 let's fucking go you feel me <laughs> right on i actually had like a really good week for random dms and not so random dms like usual listeners as well but one listener in particular was reaching out to me about the belfast story the poltergeist from house number 91 that's actually one of our most successful series is i constantly i'm getting people messaging and emailing randomly just just to say Oh, I grew up around there. That was cool. <laughs> I remember that happening. But this chap actually like had been into the house, mm-hmm. had a sleepover next door and was terrified and all. Oh, wow. But went into so much detail. Like he was telling me at that time, like obviously I can't remember the exact years that this happened. Like now I'll have to like get back into the uh, book and stuff. But at the time you like people would rent videos and stuff like, but this place was so community driven, let's call it, that they didn't go to Blockbuster or Extra Vision. They would just go down to this fella's house who had a load of videos. Oh, wow. And they'd just give him like whatever, like 50p or something. They'd rent a video for a couple of days and then bring it back. Sick. And like another house in the estate had like just a little news agents or a convenience store in the house. And it was like, so much context to that story that like just brought me straight back into it and i was like i remember like the air the exact neighborhood that i grew up in didn't have that but like about 10 minutes walk away there was a neighborhood exactly like that like upstairs the people were in their house but downstairs was the shop and like if they opened the door into the storeroom it was also a sitting room (laughs) yeah you know yeah so i just thought that was really cool that really brings oh sorry no no go ahead that really brings me back because my dad's uh, my dad's nephew lives in the same city that he grew up in, and it's a it's a larger city, but he has a community shop, 
I think it's like a room that he just carved like a window into and like the the houses there are made out of cement so like he knocked bits off to make a window yeah and that's his shop just a little walk up uh-huh. like, and the- like the way it is the house it's like has a, like a courtyard and like it's kind of like uh the letter the lowercase letter n that's how like the house right, is right. shaped and then there's a gate that closes the gap. But like a lowercase uh, letter N. You mean a U? Or a U. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, what? This is how mine mind works. <laughs> wrong. It works wrong. <laughs> um <laughs> So people can like sit there and like just Yeah, on like the end of one of those legs of this N is the shop and they just come by and get like chips and like candy and like, yeah, sodas and shit. Yeah, that's and, really cool. And they recycle their glass bottles there. Nice. Mm-hmm. But yeah, and as well, I also got a, uh, another DM referencing this, like our last week's episode, just saying that, yes, the Hamilton County police were shit. <laughs> and I was like, yes, they were. Thank you. Thank you for listening. <laughs> I'm glad somebody listened. I'm not going to lie, this week's, it's kind of a kerfuddle. Kerfuffle. Not so much a kerfuffle. That's more of a catastrophe. This is like a big old pile of stuff. Okay. I, I Actually, I'm going to need your help to try and keep me on track and make sure the points that I'm making are clear because I feel like there's a bit of back and forth on this. Okay. All yeah. right? Yeah, my toes are cold. Okay, good. All right, now you can go. Cool. So the sources this week are pretty much the same as last week. There's just a few little extra ones. The do317.com were those really cool articles that I found. Wikipedia, believe it or not. People Magazine. The Horrors of Fox Hollow Farm by Richard E. Stepp and Robert Graves. And The Haunting of Fox Hollow Farm. It's a documentary. And just trust me when I say I watched it so you don't have to. (laughs) Don't put yourself through it. Hey, talking crap on other people's stuff. I don't know if it's an independent production or not. Very difficult to watch. Yeah. So you have been warned. Anyway. And that's not even like a mean thing to say. It's just like a very. Yeah, it, it was kind of, it's actually a little bit like the, remember the, one of those Kurt Cobain uh, documentaries that came out. It was like a montage of heck. Oh, I've heard about that. How was that? Difficult? Yeah, but it was like intentionally so. You know what I mean? Why? To kind of put you like in Kurt's mindset. Or at least that's what I heard. Uh-huh. This felt like that. Only I don't know who it was supposed to be. Or if it was intentional. Yeah, it kind of just felt like not, honestly. So last week we told the horrific story of serial killer Herb Baumeister. And how in taking his own life, he took so much more from the families of his victims. Some people also feel that it allowed the cops to compile just a whole bunch of unsolved murders and just call them all, like, case closed. Mm. It was all Baumeister. It's so shitty. So between June 1980 and October 1991, the bodies of at least 12 boys and men were found dumped on the side of Interstate 70. All of the victims were found either naked or partially clothed and had been strangled. The Wikipedia page for the I-70 Strangler is actually really well put together. That's like, I was, I always like, if I end up on Wikipedia, I'll look for the sources and all that kind of stuff. But this one was 
like had a little bio for each victim and was also like sourced from newspaper articles from when they were actually found. So it was just direct, like verbatim from the newspapers from back then. A lot of the victims were known to be prostitutes and like naturally they would hang around the area of like surrounding the gay bars of Indianapolis. There was obviously a lot of similarities in the MO and description of most of the victims. But this dude, Ted, I think it's Flyshaker. What the fuck? <laughs> yeah, but it's not spelled like Flyshaker. It's F-L-E-I-S-C-H-A-K-E-R. Oh. Wow. So like Fleshaker, Flyshaker, I'm not sure. Anyway, he's a legend and he owned several gay newspapers and a tourist news a tourist paper for downtown Indianapolis. Like he's gone on to do this in like other states as well now. But at the time, like he was really in the heart of Indianapolis and knew everything that was going on. But he stood up to the police and said that they were just using Baumeister's kind of a scapegoat mm-hmm. for all this. He he knew more of what was going on. But basically, the police were just saying, gay dudes getting strangled, Baumeister. Mm. But the thing that really drove them to this conclusion, though, is the fact that the murder seemed to stop in 1991. And that's when Baumeister moved into Fox Hollow Farm. So it is like there's a lot of, what's the word, like correlating mm-hmm. evidence like that would lead you to think that. And it makes sense like that he would feel more confident now having his own domain like and gaining the confidence from years of practice. Unfortunately, we'll just never know the truth. Because, and this whole week is basically, or this whole episode is basically just us saying, unfortunately, we'll never know because fucking Herb Baumeister killed himself. Yeah. But... They always say, I'm I'm not an expert and I'm not pretending to be, but typically people will say like serial killers work up to their kills, you know, and generally it's very hard to work your way back unless we have a full written confession or, you know, that's tangible evidence and stuff like that. Like to work their way back to the original, like their first victim mm-hmm. can be very difficult. And it's usually their MO, like their... their the way they act and how they act with victims changes almost completely. Not all the times, but sometimes, or you'll see the development throughout. Whereas from the looks of things, when Herr Baumeister was caught, half of the cops are saying everything happened on Fox Hollow Farm. There, boom, there's your answer. But for him to just all of a sudden turn that on, you know what I mean? Seems yeah. kind of unlikely. So that, I can understand. Yeah. Yeah, and this is what I'm saying, but there is like a lot of back and forth here in this episode. I never thought of that because, and you know what? Obviously, it's a drawback, but in regards to like pairing a victim to the assailant would be really hard because say towards the end, like where you can like the MO and like all the details line up. Like this is, these are the calling cards of this particular asshole. Where in the beginning, he's not developed any of those and it's like really clumsily done. And and so you're just like, well, this could have been anybody, you know? Exactly. And yeah. Like a lot of the time as well, from, again, not an expert, but from like books and other series that I've like listened to and watched. The first kill can be like, for some reason, really shameful for a lot of serial killers. So they don't often admit it. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? They'll be like, Oh, it was, you know, such and such a person who was like 20 years old or an adult if that's, if they went on. I'm thinking specifically Ted Bundy had an underage, uh, like 
very much underage, like 12 years old or something. Yeah, I remember that. And he like basically just doesn't acknowledge it, whereas he would own up to the others. I might be wrong. Anyway, moving on before we get down this rabbit hole. Yeah, yeah. The sad reality of it is. I wonder if it has anything to do with like, um, I know, like, I will never fucking understand, but, <laughs> and it it's comparing apples to oranges and shit, but here is the apple to that orange. Like, I wonder if it has anything to do with, like, whenever we do, like, whenever I look at something that I, like, something that I did when I was younger, and I'm like, wow, that's, like, I did that all wrong, like. Yeah, it's just embarrassing. Like, to a lot of people, it's, they're honing a skill. Yeah. That's really, you know, yeah. Whether they're proud of that skill or not, like that's just today I was talking to a, a YouTuber actually that I am a fan of and I was telling her about the show. She was like, oh yeah, my sister's into like true crime and spooky stuff. And I was like, okay, but please don't listen from the start. Listen to some newer episodes first. Yeah. It's the same reason. It's like. Yeah. You know. Mm-hmm. But like I said, it clearly. Comparing I mean, apples yeah, to like, yeah, yeah. we're not killing people. No. But the sad reality of it is there was actually so many serial killers in the area at that time that they literally just couldn't keep up. Even searching the I-70 Strangler brings up multiple different cases such as the I-70 Killer, the Interstate Killer, or the Highway Killer, or the I-70 Murders, which actually only happened, I think, last week. I can't remember which ones go up and which ones go across. The I-70 goes across, right? Because the I-45 goes north. I-45 goes north, yeah. Yeah, so these ones go, like, interstates, or, like, the even number ones go east to west, whereas the odd numbers, the fives, go north to south. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, so this I-70 is literally the length of America, I think, oh. or close enough. But the I-70 killer is thought to have been responsible for six murders. In each attack, the killer pulled off I-70 and drove to small specialty stores which were owned or being run by small, young brunette women. The killer would shoot the victim and rob the register. One victim was actually a dude, but it's believed to have been a mix-up and the guy's mother actually owned the store. So the murderer showed up and I think the name of the store was something like Sandy's Boutique or something along those lines. So he showed up expecting to find the guy's mother, but ended up shooting him. The author of the Do 317 articles that I really enjoyed, she also tried to link these murders to Baumeister, uh, but I I really think that was a stretch. But again, what do I know? But she was suggesting that Herb was like taking out his anger on these women because something to do with his own frustrations with his mother or something like that. I think it, she, she was really just taking a stab in the dark, though. She was saying it could like, who knows, basically, which is the whole thing. Yeah. It could have been him. Could have been me. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. In that regard. like. But anyway, moving on, the interstate or highway killer was Larry Eiler. And he was responsible for the murder of somewhere between 17 and 21 boys and men. But that's a whole other series because, like, as I started reading on this guy, turns out he blamed his long-term platonic live-in partner, who wasn't quite platonic because they would also engage in, like, group sex and stuff like that anyway he said that this guy actually instructed him to murder some of the people and even carried out some of the murders himself eiler actually received the death penalty but died of age-related complications in 1994 in prison anyway 
there was a lot going on. And for the most part, the cop's attitude was, this is what you get for living a high-risk lifestyle. As in, I think they just assumed that these young men and boys were all prostitutes. Some of them had evidence that they were, but not all of them. Some of them were just gay dudes. And the police's attitude was like, well, if you're going to go home with strangers, this is what you're going to get. But just bear in mind the Larry Eiler story, the fact that he's blaming this partner who was actually like a well-known professor in the town or in the city that he was living with as well. It was a really odd pairing. But he's still, as far as I know, alive and free to this day. He certainly didn't serve any time for any of these things. But before we get into the spooky yuki, I wanted to include a video of Herb Baumeister. Okay, now it's rare that we have like organic footage of people like this as opposed to in jail uh, interviews and stuff. But I think this gives a really good, brief, but good insight into his eccentricities. He called the news to report a drive-by striping. Okay. Road painters were driving their truck along the road and painted over a dead raccoon. I'll play the tape here. I said to my son, they're going to hit that raccoon with a spray gun. And sure enough, they just striped right over its face and neck. You know, it didn't even move it. You know, no effort to, you know, get it out of the way. So I happened to have a Polaroid with me. So I took a shot of the thing. Drive by striping, <laughs> you know, or whatever. This was just, you know, uh, the painter should have had a chalk line drawn around his career by state officials. There was no excuse for that. I mean, the poor thing deserved a better fate than that. What a shame. It would have taken just a second to kick that thing or move it somehow out of the way. It deserved a better fate than that. Yeah, right? <laughs> this guy is so delusional. Yeah. And, like... I was genuine, so I sat down and I got this video. I'll link the original video because there's a little bit more context. I'll also share this video that I edited. But as I was editing it, I was like genuinely getting chills watching this like creepy fucking laugh. You know what I mean? You know what? No, I used the wrong fucking word. So disconnected. Because I feel like in his dumb mind, he's like, this is what society probably would be upset about so i should make noise about this and try to pretend to be normal and also that kind of warped version of justice yeah and then the really over rehearse like uh, ha 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 it's i mean he he really should have had a a a chalk line painted around his career or something like yeah come on you fucking asshole but like a paper he's like a paper trying like a paper person yeah yeah you know like like, so weird. Yeah. But Richard Estep, who is the author of the book, The Horrors of Fox Hollow Farm, and he, if you recognize Richard Estep's name, I also use um, another one of his books for the Pontefract case. Mm-hmm. Can't remember the actual name. I think it might have just been the Black Monk of Pontefract or something, which he wrote with Bill Bungay. Anyway, he made the really good point that this video, right, where Herb is all like, you know, laughing with the cameras and stuff. The remains of his victims are literally on the very land that he's standing in front of while being interviewed. That's like as, and again, I'll share this video on, on Instagram. The field that you're looking at is the boundary of Fox Hollow Farm. Mm -hmm. And at this point in time, it was later. So he would have had possibly over 10 bodies Mm -hmm. that he had burned and buried out there. So that's how much of a nut job he was. 
The mystery that Baumeister's suicide left behind just left so much room for stories to grow. I watched this terrible documentary, like I said, The Haunting of Fox Hollow Farm. If you want, it's free on Tubi. Anyway, they interviewed this couple who didn't say outright that they were the ones who found Herb's body because, again, nothing in this documentary is like laid out really for you. You kind of just have to guess who people are. But that's the impression that these people give, that they're the ones who found the body. Now, the guy describes seeing Herb Baumeister's body perfectly laid out in the sand at Pine Reef Provincial Park in Ontario. But he also says at one point that he had such a good view of him because the police car's headlights and his own were lighting the area. So I don't know if he just happened to be in the area, saw all these cop cars and was just re- being really nosy. And that's how he got this look. Anyway, the reason I say that is because he is convinced that there was no gun found at the scene. This guy has, I'm not saying he concocted this whole thing. It's not that I don't believe him, but it's just a little bit too good to be true. Maybe it's just how he remembers it now. You know, because he's removed like 15 years from the situation. But he also just happens to remember during the interview that there was also a set of tire tracks that were leading away from Herb's car. You know, in the sand. Seemed just a little bit too convenient for my liking, but I'm a cynic. There was also said to be two strangled seagulls laying next to the body. And I heard that in a few different places. Uh, Virgil van de Griff, who I trust wholeheartedly, he was the PI who almost solved the case on his own, you know, with the help of the Tony, the mystery caller. So the scene, the way the cops said, the cops said that they did find the bullet. They found the gun in Herb's hand, like, you know what I mean? Or just beside him. But the seagulls were a weird thing. And it looks like Herb strangled these seagulls and left them pointing towards the sea or the the lake. I think it's Lake Huron, which in itself is fucking weird, right? And as well, Virgil van de Griff said where his body was, was on like a raised bed of sand. Now that could have been coincidental, but he said it almost looked like an altar. So if you remember last week, I said Herb had been pulled over on July 3rd. Well, he had actually just parked on the side of the road to get some sleep right and the Canadian cop approached his vehicle to see what was going on and to tell him to get out of there because he's on the side of the highway like the officer noted that she had seen a whole bunch of tapes in the back of his car that night videotapes VHS it was the next day that Herb killed himself and the car was found empty just a suicide note it is just another strange thing but I think I am more inclined to believe this because Virgil van der Grift also said it about the tapes in an interview I also read somewhere and couldn't find the source, but I'm almost positive that it was Baumeister's wife mentioned that Herb was never without a video camera and that all of the family videos were missing too. Again, it's more of a hearsay thing and it's hard to follow because Herb hadn't been back to Fox Hollow Farm for like a good while before he actually went missing. But I don't think the wife actually ventured down to the pool and bar area, which is where his kind of like, that's where a lot of the murders were are said to have happened and I think that was just Herb's territory kind of like with John Wayne Gacy kind of like a lot of serial killers actually it's like don't go in there there's I'm doing woodwork you know like that kind of thing but that's where the videotapes were supposed to be and I remember seeing a picture of where they had been you know now naturally it's believed that these tapes had a lot of evidence it's guesswork 
But now people are starting to think that he had actually filmed himself having sex with these like random dudes and possibly even killing them. Personally, I think that he dumped them in the lake. Maybe the weird dead seagulls beside his body were pointing to it. What do you think? If she is anything like, I forgot whose wife it was. It might have been Gacy's wife where they were like, get rid of these things. Maybe it wasn't. And she knew that her husband was up to something, but didn't. Like ignorance is bliss kind of thing. Yeah. She was like, I don't want to know, you know, but I know something bad is happening. And to save face, I'm going to do what he's asking me to do because he's, if he goes down, he's bringing me down with him and it's embarrassed. It's going to embarrass me. Yeah. I do kind of, I try to avoid like leaning that way, but for me, I feel like I'm not saying she was enabling. Yeah. But she had to have known something was going on. I mean, the, the kid found a skull in the back garden. Yeah. I don't know. Like, and the only reason why I bring it up is because I remember that. And I remember yeah. being like, you know, holy shit, I, I I would have never, my mind wouldn't have gone there. Yeah. Well, I know? mean, it, it it's happened like in a few like very famous cases, I feel yeah, like. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, you're right. I mean, he probably just did dump all the tapes in the, in the lake, which seems likelier because like I just don't think he would leave a mess i feel like he was very meticulous and i was also thinking that whenever you're talking about how the guy said that he was on this mound of sand and it looked like an altar and i don't i don't think that was an accident i think that was because he thought so well of himself and because everything is he had done was so meticulous yeah and on purpose i think that was also done on purpose yeah and then as well like the fact that only the night before that canadian cop pulled him over yeah and again if the hamilton police Hamilton County Police or Sheriff's Department or whoever it was had have reported him as even a missing person at that point, she would have arrested him on the spot. We would have had those videotapes. Yeah. So remember that anonymous caller from last week, right? Tony Tony, is the alias used in the book. According to him, the story that he gave to Virgil Vandegrift and the feds back in the 90s is not strictly true. In an interview in the book, The Horrors of Fox Hollow Farm, he actually tells a much different story of how he and Herb were actually lovers. So initially he said, like, you know, he had like a one night stand type thing. Herb tried to kill him in the pool. He played dead and then woke up and Herb freaked out. Right. Again, this is pinch of salt territory. But Tony said that on that first night when Herb brought him back to Fox Hollow Farm, He parked in a very specific part of the driveway, which angled the headlights perfectly at the window of the apartment as if trying to signal someone. Okay, there was like a granny flat. I think they call it an in-laws apartment. When nothing happened after a few minutes, Baumeister went into a rage, slamming his fist against the dash and screaming, you can't depend on anyone anymore. And like went full on like toddler tantrum. But after this, the two went inside and according to Virgil van der Griff, They did alcohol. Yeah. That's literally what he said. That's a quote from Virgil van der Griff. Kind of adorable. Yeah. They were doing alcohol. But they also did like a bunch of cocaine. And this is where Tony's story just gets a little bit weirder. He said that Herb kept trying to get him to go into the locker room. Again, this is a really big house. So they have a locker room 
I think just off of the bar area, which is just before the pool. Anyway, her Herb kept asking Tony if he needed to go pee or anything like that. He's like, come on, you're like the bathroom's right there, just go on in, but it was really dark in there. Now Tony said he kept refusing. He actually said at one point, like, I'll just piss here in your swimming pool right out in the open, like if you know, if I need to, blah 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 blah. But then later he said he refused to go in because he saw several shadow people standing in the locker room and one was blocking the doorway and kept motioning Tony away. Right, this is where stuff gets weird. What the fuck? So he believes that Herb had his handgun in there, like in one of the lockers, and he was going to shoot him if he went in there. Tony said that he had sized Herb up at the bar and knew that he could take him physically because like he already knew that Herb was the killer. Again, this was all according to him. But he knew that he could take him if it came down to a fight. And this is also backed up by Virgil van der Griff, who said that he was a good deal bigger than most of his usual victims. Um, I think his Herb's typical victims were between like 5'8 and 5'11, but Tony was actually like 6'5. Like he, he's a big dude. And much like the, quote, true story of how the night played out, Herb did eventually fall asleep, although according to Tony, it's because he had, quote, slipped him some of the strongest marijuana he had ever experienced. How the fuck do you slip someone marijuana? No idea. I swear to God, this is like reading a dare book or something. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, don't go over there, Tony. They're smoking ecstasy. <laughs> you, know <what> I mean? <laughs> you know how these gays are in their clubs? Slipping marijuana all over the place? Like, I don't know. Tony goes on to say that after this night, Herb would try and make Tony his like apprentice of sorts. Kind of a, a protege. He wanted to groom him to become his accomplice. I guess maybe his original accomplice and him argued, maybe because he didn't show up that night. But it was the partner who was supposed to be the really evil one. While Herb, who was going as Brian Smart, just couldn't help himself. Brian Smart was the alias he would use when he was picking up, well, Tony, at least. That's what that's what we do know. Oh, my God. What if his original accomplice was that raccoon? <laughs> <laughs> and that's why he was so angry. Yeah. He was like, killed. he deserved better. The raccoon on the road, by the way. The drive-by painting raccoon. He deserved better. He. That's what he said. It's true. It's true. Uh, what was also really funny, actually... At the end of that, like, it was a typical American news article or news segment on, a like, the 7 o'clock news or whatever. At the end, it was just a picture of a dead cat on the road. It's like, this guy got away lucky. <laughs> what the fuck? Yeah, because he didn't get painted on. Jesus Christ. <laughs> Again, all of this is just according to Tony, right? But he went on to say that Herb, Brian, were two different people. Back to the multiple personality diagnosis from his childhood. Remember, that's something that's on record, so people really cling to that. He says Brian was the happy-go-lucky, slightly eccentric one, while Herb was the dark, angry, moody one. He also believes that Herb Brian, as this is what Tony calls him, Herb Brian, didn't kill himself. It was this mystery accomplice that did, like, that shot him in the head, and that's why the scene was laid out so perfectly when Herb Brian was found on July 4th. The mystery accomplice did it. The mystery accomplice who Tony knew and says only died about 15 years ago, presumably from natural causes. He was the one to blame, not Herb, who happened to be in love with Tony. I don't buy any of it. 
my honest opinion here is that this is what Tony believes. And I'm sure there's some elements of truth, but I just don't understand why he would go to so much trouble to make up a fake story to tell the FBI, which only implicates the person that you're in love with, quote unquote, and doesn't even mention an accomplice or anything. You know, when if if that was me and you and we were having this illicit affair and say your husband or whatever was killing people, but you were helping him. I would not call the police and go, yeah, Dulce is doing everything. You know what I mean? I would go, there's something weird about Dulce Alcorta's husband. You know, he's killing people, but she's totally innocent. You know, mm-hmm. like you'd be trying to protect your own best interests. Like, What if, again, not any way I could possibly comprehend this person, but what if he made up this pretend person and fed this story to Tony as a security measure. Because if he's using him as an accomplice. Yeah. And, you know, he's teaching him all these ways to like, you know, bind someone and kill someone and dispose of bodies and stuff. What if he's like, I don't want him to get this idea to do it to me. So I'm going to tell him that right. I have a right-hand man who knows where mm. I am this whole time. And if he doesn't hear from me every hour, then he's going to come here. And he knows all about you. You know, he's not the jealous type. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, maybe. And so, because it makes sense, because if you think about it the other way around, like if Tony was a jealous type, he would be like, nah, I'm I'm good. I'm going to go. And I'm going to be in a monogamous monogamous relationship. But he stayed knowing that there was a third yeah. person in this love triangle. There, there's there's too many holes, honestly. Because even in like the quote unquote true story that we know from like the police department's mm-hmm. um, reports, there was the other night when Tony, because again, Tony said, I don't know where it was where Fox Hollow Farm was originally. I remember it was like out in the countryside. He was like doubling back on streets before he actually got to the place. I just saw a sign that said something farm. Eventually they narrowed it down. But in the meantime, like this took like two years to narrow it down. Mm -hmm. But in the meantime, Tony had seen him one more time at a nightclub. And that time he managed to get a friend to get his license plate number. And another time... Herb supposedly showed up at Tony's house. But that time, Tony called either 911 or the police to say he just showed up at my house and I'm shook. Like, But another similarity here is it sounds a lot like the Larry Eiler story. Right? Larry Eiler pled innocent saying that, oh, no, no, I only killed these people because my partner made me do it. He was the evil one. It's almost like an exact cut out of the newspaper of that story overlaid on the Baumeister thing, you know? Mm-hmm. So I feel like that might have influenced Tony's, I'm not going to say story making, but like his view on things. But like, that doesn't make sense because you're saying he's making up a story to try to place the blame on someone else. But then he's also saying that he called the police 
and that he wants this person caught. That's what I'm saying. And what we know for a fact is that, yes, he called the police on at least three occasions. Yeah. So maybe it's just the attention. So I don't like, know. but did he say this? Like At the time, no, because now he says it's because he didn't want to get himself in trouble. Mm-hmm. Because he swears that he didn't get anything. Like he, he didn't do anything wrong. Like he never was involved in any of these murders or missing people or anything. Okay. But look, personally, it's, this is purely conjecture on my part. And I'm not saying he's a liar. Maybe one day I'll get to have a chat with him and I might feel different. You know what I mean? Like if you talk to someone face to face. But some of his later story works in perfectly with some possible reasons for the paranormal activity too. So I'm not like 100% discounting it, but I really think that he got a lot of attention after all this stuff went down. And then when people would stop asking him questions or like Herb Baumeister wasn't in the newspaper anymore, all of a sudden he wasn't the guy who helped catch him. So he needed something else to grab onto. Maybe, you know? Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't know. Like, I don't. It just, it, it sounds completely bogus. Yeah. Anyway. Okay. He also had some insane details about Herb's behavior. Like, whenever he had the house to himself and he was trying to, uh, like, pick up some young guy from a bar, he would turn the pool heater all the way up and leave the cover over the pool, like, while he was out at the bar. And then when he would get back with whoever he got back with, he would open the doors, like, the house again is really freaking nice. Like, so they have at the pool, it's all glass doors that you can completely open up. And so it's, it is an indoor pool, but you can be in the backyard at the same time. But when he would do this, like late at night, when it was like nice and cool outside, it would create this thick mist. So it's like you were just swimming in a cloud. And then every now and then, one of these mysterious mannequins would just appear as the mist was moving around in the room. Like, terrifying and totally disorientating as as well you know can you imagine one being drunk as fuck it's like a mind fuck yeah and whatever else you're doing like and then all of a sudden you feel like you're floating around some amazonian fucking river amazonian retail store yeah tony also said i think you're gonna like this one tony also said that each mannequin had its own unique backstory depending on how it was dressed the fuck yeah so remember he had like all these random mannequins yeah like placed around the pool and in the bar area but they were also like dressed up because the baumeisters made their money from owning thrift stores yeah yeah, yeah. so they would just have like random clothes and stuff that kind of reminds me of that episode of bob's burgers where that guy that they took in at christmas was talking about the love of his life and it ended up being a mannequin at a store yeah i mean shit maybe they read something about her baumeister and got the idea maybe But in May of 2009, Robert Graves and his family moved into Fox Hollow Farm. They were fully aware of what had happened here in the early early to mid 90s, but the place was priced just too good to pass up. I think the house had actually been vacant since 1996. Some like investor had bought it and never even seen it and then obviously couldn't sell it on. So these guys had a ton of work to get the house back to a livable condition, but they were genuinely happy with their new homestead. Like over the moon they they were horse people there was enough room to house their horses there was a barn there was everything they could have possibly wanted 
But it wasn't long before the remnants of the house's sordid past made themselves known, however. Lucky Loos, Gawkers, Nosy Parkers and Snoopers started showing up randomly. Not the Snoopers. The Snoopers. I'm literally picturing like basically everybody who lives on my granny's road because they're all like that. <laughs> I was picturing like a bunch of Snoopies. Oh, but like they would just show up the house and just casually walk down the drive if the Graveses had like forgotten to close the gate or anything. And everybody just assumed that the house was still abandoned. Like just some gruesome landmark, you know. And to be fair, I would have definitely done the same thing if there was something like this around. But Robert, Vicky and the two sons didn't even seem like that upset. It was like an inconvenience and they would have to come out and be like, oh, sorry, we actually like live here. Can you like leave? Get away from the fucking well, I'm house. glad I know that you do something like that because I'm going to keep a water bottle ready. And every time you do some crazy shit like that, I'm just going to spray you with it. What, go and see an abandoned house? Yeah, someone's living house? in it. Yeah, but because the house looked so bad, they, everybody just assumed that it was still... Going up people's driveways. <laughs> I'm going to just... Like a cat. Well, the Graves' family's lives... The Graves' family lives? The lives of the Graves'... The lives of the Graves' family were basically unaffected. There it is. They were enjoying the property. The two boys would play on the grounds, in the woods, and of course, in the swimming pool. Probably unsurprisingly, the swimming pool area is where Vicky would actually have her first paranormal encounter. Not just her first paranormal encounter at the house, but her first paranormal encounter ever. As she was vacuuming in the pool room one morning, suddenly the vacuum just turned off. Thinking she had just maxed out the reach of the cord, she went and plugged it in again and went about her business. Again, the hoover turned off and she was like just getting annoyed now. When she went back this time, she noticed that the cable was still slack, though there was plenty of room for it to keep going. Weird, but whatever. She plugged it in, carried on. A few moments later, she literally watched the plug being ripped out of the wall, as if by an unseen hand. She then said it felt as if there was someone in the room with her. Someone who didn't want her there. Now, Vicky is actually a pathologist. Like a scientist, a doctor, like she didn't believe in ghosts or anything like that prior to moving into Fox Hollow Farm. But I think that's probably one of the main reasons as to why they bought it in the first place as well. They were like, come on, like, why would we let a few pesky murders stop us from buying our dream house? Typical fucking scientist. <laughs> I have in my notes, I must have been feeling it. I also think Robert is a doctor too. Can't remember, he, he definitely performed autopsies, I think. Okay. He might have just been present while Vicky was performing autopsies. I don't actually know. I should have. I think I meant to update that. But anyway, I don't think he's ever had an experience, really. Like a few minor things here and there and like a few odd feelings in the house. But ultimately, he's like, yeah, whatever. Once after the vacuum incident, Robert was up a ladder painting one day when Vicky pulled up to the house. It was a lovely, bright, sunny day. And Robert was telling Vicky about something about how good of a job painting he was doing or whatever, when he noticed she just wasn't paying attention to him in the slightest. I feel you, Robert. I feel you. <laughs> you walk up strangers' driveways. Okay. As Robert was talking, she had seen a young man in a bright red shirt and jeans walking through the wooded area of the property. Initially thinking that they just had an intruder, maybe one of those morbidly curious visitors, 
She was just about to tell him to fuck off when he realized that he didn't have any legs. The fuck? From the thighs down, there was just nothing there. He was floating. Not like an amputee. Like, (laughs) he was a ghost. She couldn't see his legs. Yeah. Robert searched the entire area, but they both... the legs. Yeah. (laughs) Hey, Paul, I think you're missing something. Jesus. (laughs) (laughs) But they both reluctantly came to the same conclusion. Vicky had seen a ghost. This seems to be such a common thing in ghost sightings too, though. Like, I'm pretty sure we've even had stories from listeners who saw legless apparitions, but not like they were missing their legs, just a little bit like invisible, right? Like incomplete. Yeah, exactly. That's a much better word. (laughs) They were legless. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Bleed legless. Uh, That's how you say drunk in Ireland, by the way, as well. Anyway. I think it was in the Enfield haunting when Peggy, regular Peggy, Reg Peg, actually saw the opposite at one point. She was walking up the stairs and she just saw a pair of legs. There they went. Yeah. Ah. <laughs> They're on holidays. Vicky wouldn't be the only one to see this mysterious red-shirted man, though. Joe LeBlanc was a colleague of Robert's who had actually moved into the apartment that was attached to the house. It's a fully fitted apartment with kitchen and separate front door, but also has a door back into the main house. Now, Joe knew all about the history of the property, but I don't know what his opinion on paranormal stuff was before he moved in. Either way, though, on his first night in the place, he had a horrific nightmare in which he was running for his life through the woods. He was being chased by someone or something unknown. He was in such a panic that when he woke up in his unfamiliar for In his unfamiliar surroundings, he actually jumped out of bed and ran full force into the doorframe. He, like, cut himself pretty badly. I think he knocked himself out. And I'm nearly sure I remember seeing an interview with him where he said he actually broke his phone as well. So I don't fucking know. What the fuck happened? Okay, he just jumped up. Maybe his phone was already in his hand or, like, I don't know. Anyway. (laughs) Maybe he jumped up through his phone first. Yeah, and then (laughs) ran into the doorway. Just another Saturday. Well, he chalked it up to like the, the macabre stories that Vic, Robert and Vicky had been telling him because I think they're kind of proud of the fact as well. Like, you know, and not maybe not proud, but just they're also very interested. So yeah. they had taken him around the area earlier that day and be like, this is where they found such and such or this is where the burn pile was. And, and this is so, where those legs were. Yeah. Funny enough, I don't even think it's in my notes, but Joe actually did find a femur bone out oh, on one shit. of his walks one day. Yeah, like There's I, something to the legs then. Could be something to the legs. Yeah, I honestly don't know. But about a week later, after he ran into the doorframe, about a week later, as he was cleaning up after his dinner, someone started knocking on the interior door to the main house. Of course, he assumed it was like Robert or Vicky. And when he opened the door, there was no one there. But nowhere for anyone to be hiding either. Like, there's pictures of this stuff in the book as well. It's literally just a stairway to the door. So he would have heard the kids running down the stairs if they if they had been knocking. All this. And as well, his dog wasn't happy either. His dog was just growling away like there was something still there. Uneasy after this, he's convinced he saw someone or something out of the corner of his eye moving in the apartment. He got up to investigate, but he didn't find anything. 
he was just left with that feeling of like not being alone again. A few weeks after this incident, as Joe was taking his dog Fred on an evening stroll through the property, Fred suddenly stopped dead in his tracks and started to growl at something before bolting off towards the tree line. When Joe looked up, he saw the man in the red shirt. Jeans, no legs. He was walking away towards the tree. It was basically the exact same as what Vicky had seen. He looked like a totally regular, solid human from the ties up, and then he just disappeared. But Fred had actually gone into the woods. I don't I think the dog chased him and then just ran into the woods. And now Joe basically had to follow his this mysterious ghost man's path in through the trees and it was getting dark. Now he had a torch with him, thankfully, because he was used to like scaring off animals and stuff for the dog. But as he went through the woods, he soon found himself completely surrounded by trees. He was scanning the area for Fred and as he shone his light from tree to tree, he suddenly found himself looking directly into the face of the man in the red shirt. Now he was about 20 feet away from him and this is horror movie stuff. But this knocked the courage out of him and he just turned around and ran all the way back to the house. Thankfully, Fred heard the commotion and followed him. But when he told Vicky about it the next day, they realized they had both seen him in the exact same place. Imagine being in a forest surrounded by trees. Oh. <laughs> but not, like in all seriousness though. I'm just making fun of you because you're like, he went into the forest and found himself surrounded by oh. trees. And I'm like, well, I should hope so. <laughs> As in it was a thick wooded area. They, they're not here in Houston, so you wouldn't know. But it's literally like a scene from the Blair Witch. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that in my head, that's exactly how I'm seeing it. And then all of a sudden, just like, yep. there somebody is. Mm-hmm. Literally one of my fucking... Remember walking up to the Hellfire Club? How dark that was? Yeah, that was fucking scary Yeah, so can you imagine if one of our torches or flashlights had just suddenly shone on a fucking person? Yeah, yeah, I think about that all the time. Literally would have filled my drawers. (laughs) (laughs) I was literally thinking that the entire time we were in there. I was like, we're... Every time, like, you moved the torch, I was like, we're going to see someone. Someone's (laughs) in here. We're going to see someone. Yep. And the whole time I'm like, I don't want to see you. I don't want to see you. I don't want to see you. (laughs) But anyway, Joe was also woken from his sleep from more knocking on his door. This is like weeks later. But this time it was the front door. And Joe was pissed as well. Like he was like, woke up being like, who the fuck? I'm going to assault you. Like whatever. But the knocking became more frantic as he got closer. And he could actually see the door bouncing in its frame. He grabbed the handle, swung the door open, and no one was there. But as he was looking around to see if there could have been anyone there, he noticed that the door knocker was still standing at a 90-degree angle. As he realized this, it was as if whoever was holding it finally just bounced it back down against the door one last time, as if to make a point, like, yeah, I'm fucking here. Now, I think Joe was somewhat in denial at this point because he still went looking for a potential intruder in the middle of the night, surrounded by the fucking woods where he had just seen this dude. Maybe he was like hoping to catch one of the grave's kids, like just playing a prank. But the main house was in total darkness and there was no sign of anyone else. And they had actually had security cameras installed at this point as well because they did have these random intruders as well. Like, you know, and... Robert said that they never caught anything paranormal on there. But back in the apartment, 
Joe's dog Fred was hiding under the bed and Joe was trying to coax him back out but all he would do was growl and stare at something behind Joe. Then Joe heard the knob, not the knocker, but the knob on the door itself start to twist and suddenly the door slammed open and a strong gust of wind blew in a load of leaves and crap from outside even though it was a very calm night. So as Joe was stood there just trying to understand what the fuck was going on, suddenly he saw the figure of a young man come sprinting from his bedroom right at him. He had a look of pure fear on his face and he just ran a couple of steps before disappearing right there, leaving the apartment feeling dead and empty with just a very frightened Joe and Fred. Now Joe said it was definitely not the same guy that him and Vicky had seen in the woods, but a few days later, as they were all in the main house watching a program about Baumeister and his victims, Joe reckons, like basically, a face flashed up on the screen and he went pale and just started pointing at the TV. He's like, that was him. That was the man that was in my apartment. And it was one of the victims. Oh, and they, wow. didn't, they didn't name who it was, I yeah. don't think. On another occasion, Joe was in the pool with his friend and the two Graves kids and they were all just having a merry old time. Everyone else was in the shallow end and Joe swam down towards the deep end. When he came up to catch his breath by the side of the pool, he felt fingers slide around his neck, almost sensuously. He spun around expecting to see one of the lads messing with him, but they were all still at the other end of the pool. Freaked out, but still just trying to make sense of what happened, he pushed himself into the middle of the pool to start swimming again, and suddenly the hands were back, only... This time there was no sensuality. He was being strangled and dragged underwater barely 20 feet away from the rest of them and they were all just still playing. Thankfully, the invisible hands disappeared just as fast as they had grabbed him and with that, Joe scrambled out of the pool and started shouting at everyone to get out, it's not safe in here anymore. Like he was genuinely concerned for the children. Like He still didn't move out after this and one night he heard scraping in the kitchen of his apartment and when he went to see what it was, he discovered all the knives had been removed from their block and laid in a row inside the sink. Just weird. He would also hear like much less frightening things, but still terrifying if you have like zero ghosts in your life, like random footsteps throughout the knife, <laughs> throughout the night. And he also said that he would often hear the door knocker at 1.45 a.m., always the same time and always seven knocks. Now, one of the Graves kids actually lived in the apartment after Joe had moved out and he confirmed that he experienced the exact same activity. 1.45am, seven loud knocks on the knocker. But by the sounds of things, it was just kind of commonplace for these, like for the Graves family. Like they don't seem to be scared of anything anymore. And, uh, and Joe lived there for two and a half years. And I don't think it was, I don't think he left for any paranormal reasons anyway. Like, he seems more than happy to get called back to tell his stories. He's on the episode of Ghost Adventures talking with Zach Baggins and the gang telling all these stories. Now, a lot of the horrors of Fox Hollow Farm book is basically just notes from two weekend investigations. And I literally, I know I was joking a couple of weeks ago about having like three notebooks, but I actually do. And depending on where I am and what I'm doing, the notes for what I'm like researching end up in all three notebooks and then I have to kind of go back through them all and accumulate them. And now you have another one. And now I have a, an electric version. But I literally was going through 
all three notebooks to see what I had written while I was reading the book. And all I got was this quote from me. Ghost investigations are boring. Reading about ghost investigations is painful. (laughs) (laughs) And I actually, yeah. You were on one. That was it, though. That was the only physical written note that I had. Yeah. Until I started writing these. Anyway. You were in your feels. I was. I remember (laughs) sitting out there one morning and I was like, oh my God. (laughs) But I did actually enjoy the book. Like, I like reading about these kinds of things, but sometimes it's just like, oh my God, man. Okay. But that's just more of a heads up for like, if you're not used to these kind of things and would like to start reading these books, maybe start with something with a little bit more padding or less padding. That being said, they have had some interesting things happen to their crew, like people being poked and caressed by unseen hands, people claiming they heard voices in one room, like full on conversations, door handles rattling, doors opening on themselves, even though they were locked. Three loud bangs coming from an upstairs room while one member recited the Lord's Prayer aloud. And it's important to note as well that like I'm pretty sure the Graves family were actually present in the house for at least one of these investigations. But the house is so big that they were completely isolated. Like they were off in their like quarters, literally. (laughs) Whereas the gang were only investigating in the pool area and the bar. Like so they were literally locked away from the rest of the house. Some hot spots in the house include Robert's ensuite bathroom, which was once Herb's, the locker room by the pool, and the pump room, which is in the pool room. People have also seen a ghost cat. Just a white little cat that's apparently not one of Vicky's, who they kind of made out like she has multiple cats, but definitely doesn't have a white one. And this white one is supposed to be a ghost. Ghost cat. Nice. Yeah. According to Robert, a friend was visiting with his young daughter one time. And I think like the main attraction to the house is like, oh, come on, spend the day, like bring your kids and we'll all hang out by the pool or whatever. We got a ghost cat. Yeah, we got a ghost cat too. But as the little girl was walking past this pump room, she stopped, raised a finger to her lips and told her dad to be quiet because, quote, those men are sleeping in there. Oh, no. And according to Tony, at least one person actually bled out in there after after getting away from Baumeister. So again, this is Tony's story, but I think the guy was like stabbed and was just acting on pure adrenaline, ended up getting lost, trying to escape the house and ended up bleeding out in the pump room. Not evidence, but interesting nonetheless, because that pump room is where a lot of people feel Herb or something pretending to be Herb. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the only place that Robert actually had a physical encounter. Also, the hose that Herb is said to have used to strangle some of his victims, Tony included, is still in the pump room. Robert and his family were just like, well, I mean, it's a fine hose. There's no need to get a new one, even though it potentially has killed like up to 20 people. But if we believe in haunted objects, like, you know, anyway. Robert seems to allow just about anyone to come out and check the property out. Like he's just very open, but he's not like making it a tourist attraction. Yeah. Like I actually kind of, the few interviews and bits that I've read with Robert, he seems like a decent bloke. Like, But yeah, he allows anyone like for paranormal investigations and YouTube documentaries. And he doesn't seem to be really like bothered by any of it. He does say no Ouija boards. That's a rule. Wise. 
Yeah, and I'll also say that he doesn't seem to be trying to make a bunch of money from it either. Like, he let the Ghost Adventures crew come out and he was like, yeah, they were lovely. They sent us, uh, like, some, I don't know, Polaroids or prints of, like, their time at Foxhall Farm and stuff. And uh, if you watch the Ghost Adventures episode, one of the, like, remake scenes, what are they called? You know the way, like, they'll be telling the story. Oh, the dramatization. Yeah, dramatization or something like that. Yeah, yeah. One of those scenes is actually one of the Graves kids. Oh, no shit. Yeah, yeah. He said, like, they genuinely had a lot of fun and the guys were already cool. Um, But he genuinely seems interested in all the different people's opinions as well. Like, as if he's holding out that someone someday is going to hit the nail on the head and everything is just going to kind of fall into place. Yeah. But... With that being said, he has had multiple psychic mediums and, quote, sensitives tell him all kinds of different stories. So he's been left to decide, like, who appears to be more credible and who appears more accurate or whatever. And of course, some people throw around the big D word, but there's not as many as you think. In a case like this is, like, really refreshing, I think. The big D, as in being demons. A lot of people come out and they're like, there's a demon in the cereal box. And it's like, no, it's (laughs) it's a fucking mouse, love. Anyway, obviously, obviously there's a lot of people who believe Herb Baumeister still shows up. And a lot of his victims are in the pool room and on the grounds. But more than that, multiple people have said that there's something less human living on the grounds. There's an elemental, an elemental, Am I saying that right? Yeah. Words don't even sound like English anymore. (laughs) There's an elemental and something else. Now, according to a Native American person who came out to the property, there's several Native American spirits on the land since long before the house was built. And they're not evil, but they are hurt and they are angry about how the land is being treated, both from the time it was taken from them and everything that's happened there since. This lines up with, like, a lot of people's experiences, too. Aside from Tony's claims of seeing shadow people throughout the house on multiple occasions, other visitors, and also Joe, have reported seeing figures that seemed blacker than black in the woods. So, yeah, kind of, like, easy to think that you've seen something in the woods, but people a lot of the time point out, no, I could see this thing, and I could see the trees behind it, and it was solid. You know what I mean? So it's not like just catching glimpses here and there. But it's such a mix of residual and seemingly intelligent hauntings too. And I think this is where a lot of the confusion lays, where with people just trying to like define exactly what's happening. Like people's opinions on what exactly haunts the house just start to differ and overlap. Tony, for example, believes that an inhuman entity, which he calls the frog, for some unknown reason, I guess he just pictures a frog person or something, but he thinks it's been there for a long time and that it's a trickster spirit and a liar. He believes the frog is to blame for Herb's behavior. The fuck? Another thing adding to the list of what he thinks was causing Herb's behavior. But he also believes that Herb's accomplice's spirit still hangs around there and that the frog actually controls him, although the guy thinks he has all the control, but really it's the frog manipulating him without him realizing that he's being manipulated. Got it. Yeah. Now, Tony also still believes that Herb shows up, but in a more pure form. Like, his version of Herb that he likes to think of is actually Brian. Okay? Okay. Brian is the good Herb. Mm-hmm. 
and he's a remorseful but positive spirit now. And he actually shows up with like a fatherly affection. And this is something that Robert Graves actually kind of vibes with as well. He's like, he doesn't know whether it's just an energy or not, but he's like, whatever is here, he feels not an attachment or anything like that, but he feels it's like looking over the place rather than trying to hinder anybody or anything like that. And another medium who Robert Graves seems to think is very genuine actually says that Herb is no longer present, but there is something that pretends to be Herb. Now, it isn't too far from Tony's theory, but it's one that I find absolutely fascinating. Genuinely, I really enjoyed reading this bit. So this is a quote from the medium, and he believes that this thing was actually, quote, created from all the negative energy at Fox Hollow Farm. It has some of Herb's personality, but it isn't actually him. His actions fed it, made it grow. To me, it sounds like a sort of golem, golem, or homunculus. Mm -hmm. Now, the definition from occultworld.com, a homunculus or golem is an artificial human created by magic. Now, bear with me, okay? A homunculus does the bidding of its creator. It can be created as an astral thought form in in a ritual using a puppet made of clay or wax. It's given physical features and the ability to speak. Such thought forms usually have a temporary lifespan. However, according to magical lore, homunculi can be dangerous because they can go out of control and may not cease to exist when ordered to do so. Now, magic definitions and stuff like that are very loose. That's one example of what a golem or homunculus could potentially be if that's how your intentions are. There's also, like, many different ways. Like, I only heard this very recently and one way to apparently conceive a homunculus is to come in a cantaloupe or place your semen in a cantaloupe i think and keep it at the precise temperature of a chicken's womb for like nine months or fucking year or something and then eventually like you'll have a little miniature you now that's what i heard from last podcast on the left and it's not a direct quote but it's something as like let's face that sounds insane right it's very compelling. But yeah. here's <laughs> what if cuz remember how we were talking about when he was alive it, he was a paper person. You know, just making all the moves that you would think a human is supposed to do. Yeah, trying everything to appear like a regular human like. That doesn't that sound a lot like what a homunculus is. What I'm trying to get at is that what if... Was he the homunculus? No, fool. Oh. What if he is... <laughs> okay. <a bit> what? Harsh. <laughs> um, I'm saying what if they are talking to the to Herb? Do you see what I'm saying? Oh, so And it what... seems like, to them, it seems like this couldn't possibly be human. That's the point. You see what I'm saying? That is actually very interesting. What we connect, what we attribute human qualities are because we are, for the most part, mentally sound. Yeah, yeah. But he clearly wasn't. Let's say mentally complete or mentally whole. Yeah. Because, funnily enough, I didn't even put this in my notes, but Tony said the very first time that he laid eyes on what he, how he was introduced to Brian... 
he could see like his aura or his spirit. Again, this is according to Tony. And he could see big blank spots. So that actually rings really true to this. Whereas the reason why I really like this idea is because I genuinely believe like the thought form is a good enough reason, as far as I'm concerned, for hauntings and stuff. Specifically poltergeists and not like, you know, oh, I saw my dead granny, like, or you'll see the the lady in black at six o'clock every Wednesday or something like that. You know what I mean? Yeah. But the whole like what you put out is what you get back kind Mm -hmm. of thing. But this sounds to me like that could be the cause of, like I said, many, maybe even all hauntings, like who knows, as if the residual energy was AI and it suddenly became sentient. Right, that's how some people kind of describe this, you know? Mm. This medium wholeheartedly believed that everything Tony was feeling was actually this trickster, trickster and that Tony was being manipulated. Herb was no longer there, but anytime Tony shows up, he starts calling out and he starts calling, my love, my love, like very over-the-top dramatic Yeah, is this Tony character. But it's not who he thinks it is. And it was the same thing that was fucking with Joe LeBlanc, the dude who was living in the apartment. Mm -hmm. He went on to say, this medium went on to say that there are many portals on Fox Hollow Farm. Again, this is pushing the boundaries of what I really care to believe in or or I'm like, feel very strongly about. But he said that the swimming pool is actually the main one. And what Joe felt strangling him that day was nothing to do with her Baumeister. This was something grabbing him, trying to pull itself through. Apparently, Joe himself has incredible psychic abilities, but he has no control over them. And that's why he was so targeted. I think he said something like, he is a lighthouse, you know? And it's like what we were talking about before. It's like just one of those perfect storms. Like if you put this person in this situation, all of this shit's going to happen. Yeah. Now, these are all just theories, but I think that last one is going to stick with me for a while. Like I said, like, I just love hearing, like, you know, new possibilities. And sometimes as you're reading this, it's just like somebody has managed to put what you kind of thought already into better words so you can digest it a bit easier, you know. And that's what happened here for me. If you want to read more about the paranormal end of things, again, go check out The Horrors of Fox Hollow Farm by Richard Estep and Robert Graves. And, uh... Oh, yeah. And like I said, there is a Ghost Adventures episode where Zach suggests that Robert is, (laughs) Robert is, Robert has a negative attachment, but that it's actually her Baumeister spirit attaching itself to Robert. Robert just said no, respectfully, but no. And uh, again, I think Robert is just the ultimate open-minded skeptic. I really appreciate his, uh, the energy that he brings to this whole thing, because this Seems like one of those cases that could be completely blown out of proportion and monetized and turned into a huge attraction or an Airbnb or something like that. But he seems very level-headed for the most part. They say that the activity is very sparse these days and Richard Eastep floats the idea that all hauntings are cyclical. Like many of the poltergeist cases, they kind of flare up every now and then. And like we said, Joe LeBlanc was just adding fuel to the fire. And that's... He just inadvertently caused the last flare-up, basically. And that's uh, that's the haunting end of Fox Hollow Farm. Don't watch that documentary. It's terrible. <laughs> I won't. Um, 
No, I was actually just really frustrated because when I was doing the H.H. H. Holmes thing, I uh, I found a quote. I'm not even going to call it. It wasn't a real documentary. It was a PowerPoint presentation with somebody speaking over it. And it's on like fucking Hulu and stuff. The fuck? Like who, who, what person working for what TV station or, you know, streaming service went, I'll give you money for this. Well, listen, they did that same shit with Casey Anthony, so... Dumb oh, shit they, happens they all the time. They paid a lot of money for Casey Anthony, let they me did, tell you. People do dumb shit. Yeah. Anyway, that's right. it. Uh, good night, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> it's been great. Good night, everybody. No, uh, feel free to go and join the Patreon for $2. Check out our wish list. It's in the link for our link in our bio. All that usual crap. You know yourselves. We appreciate each and every one of you been loving getting all the direct messages the sms text messages to our phones um and yeah thanks also for the support on the dentist thing i had somebody else comment about that supporting you from afar um and yeah we will have an episode out next week but there's going to be a break after that and uh love you all dearly thank you very much okay bye. bye